0: Jason Ellenport, Principal at Edison Partners, former General Manager at 5am Organic Yogurt and Member Board of Directors for EO Entrepreneurs Organisation. Welcome to Discipline. Thanks Tony, great to be here. And before we get uh, into it, uh, probably good to say that we're sitting back here today drinking a very nice bottle of uh, Pinot from Burgundy. He chin chin. Absolutely. Right, let's jump into it. When you were a young boy, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Huh? you the truth? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, give I've us the been untrue been version <laughs> first. <laughs> I wanted to be a naturalist. I wanted to be a naturalist. I was, I, there was a guy oh. called Harry Butler. It was Harry Butler in the wild. I guess he was the... He was the precursor to Steve Irwin, I think. And I, I was just enamoured with the idea of sort of being outside and working with animals and particularly sea life and so forth. And then uh, in in later years, I uh, I unfortunately discovered that that meant that I needed to do a thing called science, which involved chemistry and physics. And I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. And so that was the end of my, uh, my, my, my naturalist ambitions. Did I say naturalist or naturist? Net, no, naturalist net, ambitions. Yeah. Um, and then what happened then? So you didn't go into that path. Uh,
0: you followed a different route.
1: Well, I was only six. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I actually, uh, I was pretty industrious as a as a young kid. I, I, I always wanted to have. Um, control over my own sort of economic fortunes so from had, a really early age. So
0: you had the traditional paper run or car cleaning I business? Did, I did, I did. And I was an
1: identical, I am an identical twin. And so I, and I'm, I'm, I'm the older of the identical twins. I'm five minutes older than my, than my brother, Brent. And, um, so when I, when I made my first $10, I took him down Church Street in Brighton and we walked into Griselda, which was a, uh, a toy shop at the time. And uh, and I said to my my five minute younger brother, mate, you can have anything you like in the whole shop. And he he uh, he walked around for about ten minutes and then picked a a bow and arrow set. And um, he said it, uh, he said he'd pay me back at some point. And uh, we we took it home and I think we busted it on the first <laughs> day. <laughs> I never got the nine dollars ninety nine. I'll give you the tip. Um, so you had, but that was your first entrepreneurial. Yeah, look, it was, I, the reason I, the way I got the the, the, the ten bucks together was, um, was uh, was a paper round. Yeah, I I actually did a morning paper round and an afternoon paper round. I used to, sounding like a Monty Python's, you, you used to have to get up half an hour before we went to bed and lick road clean with dung. My old dad said to me, he said, money won't bring you up in a son. He was right. Aye. I was happier then. I had nothing. Aye. We used to live in a tiny tumble down old house with great holes in roof.
0: House. You're looking down the house. And that leads to the next question. I mean, what kind of student were you at school? Uh, a dreamer. A jock.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I was. No, I was I, a nerd. was. I was pretty good at sport, and and from a very early age, my my um, you know special power was was just the ability to connect with people. Empathy. And, yeah, just a bit of an empath. I think that that's right, um, and I think it, again, it didn't hurt being a, being an identical twin, having a mirror image of myself to be able to knock around with and to be able to sort of bounce ideas off and compete with, and you know, I think it's a, a provided me certainly sort of a unique insight into the human condition to be able to see a mirror of myself every day, all day, pretty much. You know, you've, you've gone from school, gone to Monash University,
0: uh, started with a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Business. I mean, it, it doesn't make you the most ambitious person at Monash, that kind of... Uh, undergraduate uh,
1: program does it? Bachelor of Arts? You, you, uh, you're poking fun at my Bachelor of Arts. I did degree. a Bachelor of Arts. I was also <laughs>
0: equally unambitious.
1: Do you know what? I, I, um, there's actually a backstory to that and it's an important one in the context of sort of what I have and haven't done since and that is that uh, you, know, you asked me five minutes ago whether or not I was an ambitious student, whether I enjoyed school and, and actually I remember by the time I got to grade six uh, I went. To, I went to the local primary school, and uh, there was uh, pigeons always used to sit underneath the uh, the the eaves, and we'd have those those typical red brick red brick government schools with the with the uh, with the the cross wire mesh on the outside of the windows, and I remember in in summer, just uh, you know, in the first first few months of uh, of grade six, looking out the window and just listening to the pigeons, the brrr, brrr, and just thinking oh. Jesus Christ! When is this going to end? And thinking, oh my God, I've got another six years ahead of no, me. I thought you were thinking to think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be a
0: pigeon? <laughs> I just get to sit out there and sing all day and do not a lot, singing
1: shit. <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a good life. <laughs> Correct, yeah. And then once I'd had that sort of you know recognition, I kind of started to taper actually from then. And but by the time I got to my VCE year. And by the time I got to the exams in my VCE year, I was completely disengaged. And in fact, I got the the worst set of exam results of any exams I took since year seven in my VCE exams. I barely passed. Uh, my parents had sent me to Germany on an exchange program. I don't know why they sent me after I would nearly failed German rather than uh, than before I'd studied German that year. But that was... A, you
0: probably should ask them that. That's, I
1: should. I should. And and uh, I remember my taking a call in, in Bavaria, uh, in, in, uh, in where I was studying uh, studying German at the Goethe Institute, and a call from my father. A lot of pent up, uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, emotion around the results, and my father sort of trying to break the news to me. And he, he, I recall his words to this day. He said, "Well, look, what's happened is." Uh, you haven't done quite as well as, uh, as as what you thought you had. But that's,
0: I mean, it's interesting because, um, you know, there's a school of thought with people that uh, don't go on a, a steep trajectory and they go through peaks and troughs, both mm. with their application and academia, that they have a an underlying sense of it doesn't really matter, things are going to work out okay. Mm. So maybe that's an unfaltering belief in oneself. I mean, is that true
1: for <coughs> you? Is that... Is that um, how you kind of looked at things? Look, it's really... It's an interesting comment, and, and um, you know, I, I, I've, I heard recently that, um, you know, people are late who are late are actually the most op- optimistic people because they always have an optimism that they're going to be able to get there on time, but, of course, they never do. And um, and I, I think, you know, perhaps there's a, a parallel. I, I've, I've always felt that I had a... You know, without getting too weird, I've always felt that I had a, you know, a bit of a sort of guardian angel looking over me. I, and I, even, you know, to, to today... At the age of nearly fifty, I, I just know that everything's going to be all right. It always has been. Now, it hasn't always translated though to, you know, self belief. In fact, I you know between the age of, you know, thirty and, and forty, I, I experienced racking uh, doubt, and uh, and you know learned for the first time that um, you know, some of the structures and, and ways of thinking that I would learned, particularly as a very small child, by virtue of some of the, some of the some unfortunate things that happened to me as a kid. That um, that I uh, I just didn't they weren't useful to me anymore those structures and I had to really shed that skin and that was I thought I was breaking down but I was actually just growing so so that's I mean that's another good segue um,
0: when you went into doing an MBA mm. what what were you kind of looking for there what were you lacking at that point in terms of your <coughs> makeup or what were you trying to achieve by that particular uh, yeah. course
1: look I mean there was a couple of things going on there I think I think um, you know by that point i would I'd, uh, I'd spent sort of five years uh working i came out of a, out of the graduate uh as a, a monash graduate and went into a, a graduate program with a large insurance company r a c v in fact and they were they really were primarily an insurance company they were a mutual organization more like a sort of semi government sort of authority than a than a private enterprise um and you know, I, it was it was uh, it was a punish for me. It really was. It was, but it was also a terrific experience in you um, know learning what not to do with other people's money. Well, it's also the antithesis of being an entrepreneur. Being it really a was. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that that was um, that was the last time I ever had a job. You know, I got I got a job. I think in, coming out of that uh, Monash double degree program in nineteen ninety two until sort of nineteen ninety. Uh, when it would have been 1994, I think I would have finished that. as a four-year d- degree, I think. Um, and, maybe and 91 to 94. And then and then I, I went into business actually with my father. And the MBA uh, thing links to that. Um, my dad was was uh, okay. a graduate. In fact, he was the Ducks of the first Melbourne MBA program. And, and you and, went uh, to Melbourne Business I went to School. Melbourne Business and School as well. Same. I did the same thing. So a, there's a, been a... You know, there's been an overlay between my father and I. The older I get, the more like him I become, I think. But um, I think that... uh, And we probably clashed a bit when we were... When I was sort of... of, You know, an adolescent. I remember him always saying to me, you always have to have the last word. And um, he's probably dead right. I mean, it's
0: it's interesting you follow, you know, in your father's footsteps, for one. Um, But I think the other thing for people listening is there's a real lesson here in terms of uh, marketing. Because... Your RACV um, work experience is absent from your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> clearly, clearly that's a deliberate.
1: Uh... Well, you know, yes and no. I mean, it, it um, it's funny, isn't it? This is embarrassing in that um, that uh, you know, I'm going to show my age here. But I I came through a graduate program. It's not me going to the toilet, actually, uh, listeners. It's uh, it's Tony filling my my glass up with this. Terrible, terrible drop. Terrific, terrific Burgundy is pulled out of the uh, out of the out of his cellar. But um, yeah, I I spent uh, I spent sort of five five or so years in that in that environment and saw every single part of the business. I so, saw so, you know everything from uh, the hu- you know, humiliation. I remember at the time of having to work within a telephone business centre selling insurance products to punters ringing up for their car or caravan insurance and then all the way through into sort of marketing and, uh, and uh, you know equities and reinsurance it was the, the whole bit the member services stuff and and, um, and then at the end of all that I think they realized I was precocious enough to be able to maybe be an, a, a bit of a change agent and uh, one day they someone the, the general manager came to me and said look we want you to do a time and motion study of the telephone business centre. when you know help us with technology help us understand what we could be doing. Better, faster, and smarter, and I, I just dived into it. I thought the idea that someone would want to ask me for my opinion and I could share that and that might bring benefit was really palpable for me. That's interesting. Um, and I, I, the only issue was I put these recommendations forward, and a whole lot of people lost their jobs. And I thought, <laughs> holy shit, I've uh, I've actually just uh, impacted a whole lot of people's lives. So it didn't sit so so well with me. And that's that's also an
0: interesting thing. Uh, you know, I touched on with a couple of other people the. Uh, the difficulty in being an entrepreneur and, and running businesses and, and the human factors involved in getting rid of people, hiring and firing, actually leads into a question about your, your first couple of businesses in uh, the procurement space. Yeah. I mean, looking back on that, what led you into business and in particularly that space?
1: Hmm. There's actually a link back to back to my first job at RACV. I, I came through the graduate program and then they, they offered me a role within the uh, the property services, and I was running all the major contracts. I was only, gosh, I must have been twenty six years old or twenty seven years old, and I was uh, I was running some some very large contracts, and they used to run their tenders by putting all the tenders in an envelope and they'd send them out and they'd give people three or four weeks to had to be
0: in the tender box had to by be in, five had p.m. To be in the tender
1: box and it uh, if was not. guarded by a guy with an Uzi and and uh, <laughs> Uh, you know it was all all the focus was on the stuff that wasn't important and this thing called email came about and I I, I heard rumors that it just allowed you to send messages internally within the business and um, I uh, I then sort of asked the, the guy that was running out our, our de- department um, the general manager of our area you know whether other people had these email things in their businesses and I, I, I he said yeah look his wife worked in a business and she had one I said well why don't we just run these tenders by doing it electronically? Why don't I just email people the Good stuff? The the government. Yeah. And, uh, and so we did that, and, I, and, and you know, it's embarrassing now, but at the time I, I was sort of hauled up b- before the board of the company to present on this innovative new e-tenders thing where I, I'd compressed the sort of three-month uh, uh, gestation period of a tender down to whatever it was, you know, three weeks or something weeks, like that, and... Yeah. and um, you know, and in doing so, we'd uh, sort of uh, we'd change the game a little bit. And that, that was really the segue into, into procurement, understanding that um, you know, in most organisations, I think mean, this is a lesson for a lot of entrepreneurs, when if you think about yourself as the entrepreneur and you're you know, figuratively in a conversation with the head of sales and marketing on one side and the head of procurement on the other, who do you turn to when the shit's going down and you really need to move the dial? And in most businesses... Certainly, public businesses and, and, and many private businesses, it takes you know 10 or 20 dollars at the revenue line in order to produce one at the earnings line. Uh, whereas, of course, if you turn to the, the head of procurement, you know, she or he's going to uh, be able to find one dollar of spend which just shouldn't be spent at all, and of course, that goes straight to the bottom line.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, and, and and I think the other thing for entrepreneurs that comes out of that, I mean, there's two things one, there's possibly even three things. One, you solve a problem. so you found a massive problem to solve. Mm. Two, um, you know, you, you're going in an industry or an area where you're currently working, so you're aligning yourself to things you know already. You're not mm. going out saying, I'm going to sell boats. Yeah. Uh, and three, you know, you sort of, you know your client. You know, you know potentially your first client. Yeah. I mean, it's a great way to dive off from a work... Position into entrepreneurship by having three of the great things ticked for a startup.
1: Yeah, I mean it's funny. I, I there was a bit of a segue actually between what I was doing there and getting into the procurement stuff. I I, I joined my father in his consulting practice, and he'd, he'd had a sort of background in market research and, and in management consulting, and that was in truth partly just to spend more time with him. He was a, a brilliant guy, and but I hadn't spent a huge amount of time with him. He went off to work, and I went off to school and uni for all those years, and. So the ulterior motive was really just to see him operate. And the more I, I spent time around him, the more in awe of him I was because he, he, he just was so sharp to this day. He's just one of the sharpest guys I've, I've ever worked with. I, I met a, a bloke at the business school who uh, uh, you know, I got along pretty well with and we took over my father's office and we, we, we started this business in, uh, in running reverse auctions on the, on the internet. Uh, similar to the the Dutch tulip auctions, we thought we'd invented the concept. It <laughs> turns out that the Dutch did well before us, and uh, that's right. And, and there were others actually doing it in, in, in tech. But um, but that that uh, that ability to look back and kind of understand context and say, look, I've actually seen this problem before. Absolutely, was 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 a a key enabler for me, and to understand, you know, how that contracting process. Worked and uh, and getting sort of ink on paper, if you like, around a, around a, a a contract when we're out there selling our services was was key.
0: So so sort of long story short, you've you've grown that you've it's done very well. You've exited that. Um, what are the things that you wish you'd known as you're going through this journey of your start uh, turning into a look? I, I think
1: um, I think it's a very easy to be sort of critical of what you did or didn't do with the benefit of hindsight. I I, I I came through that uh, that sort of 10 or 12 year process where had the, the amazing benefit of being backed by a guy who almost became sort of like a you know a quasi father figure to me a guy called Roger Head who was he uh, was uh, famous for many things but one of them being that he was the only guy to have played in the in every St Kilda uh, winning and losing grand final, is that right? Yeah, so Roger played in the nineteen sixty six grand final against Collingwood, which so they won by a point. Which they won by a point, and then he played in, I think, reserves and seniors grand finals. Every one of them, winning and losing. Wow. So um, back then, anyway, that was. But he 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 um, he taught me many many things, mainly about integrity. So he he made a commitment to my business partner and I at the time that uh, that um, he'd put in uh, a million bucks. And, um, in fact, in fact, we, we asked him for a million dollars for 50%. He said, no, you need 2 million and it's still just 50%. So that was an eye opener. Uh, and then the world collapsed, of course, when the dot com bubble burst and, um, and you know, we were watching stocks on the NASDAQ and, you know, many people have never seen this, you know, many people, younger entrepreneurs have never seen a wipe out like this, you know, stocks that literally devalued by 99% mm. and, uh, and. Throughout all of that, we didn't even have a signed agreement with Roger and he put his hand in his pocket, then loaned money from his, uh, his, uh, his network to make good on the $2 million. And many years later, when we, uh, we rewarded our long suffering shareholders uh, by uh, listing a uh, sort of an adjunct of that business and, and making and giving all of those shareholders a very uh, you know, handsome return on their, on their initial investment. Um, you know, it was a it was a massive weight off my shoulders, and uh, but a, but above all else, it was a you know it was a lesson in in how important your word is, because in the end, I think your you know your word's really all you've got, and certainly in the game, have you ended up in your reputation yeah. so 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 easily lost, and uh, and so so difficult to to earn.
0: I mean, it it does sound to me like you've got uh, a huge amount of your motivations coming from. Um, some of these uh, human factors rather than pure, you know, money factors. Yeah. You know, working with your father, providing a, a return, feeling loyalty to provide return to yeah. those who backed you early. Uh, are they drivers? Are they these yeah, people? Pers- they, yeah, they
1: are. And, and, you know, what I what I found uh, in my career uh, is that I, I think it's really important to understand whether you're the front guy or whether you're a supporter. I think it's really important to understand, you know, what you're, What your sort of secret source is? What is your special power? And if you don't know what it is, sit down with separately with your three best mates and ask them what they think is so special about you, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you exactly what it is, whether you know it or not. And um, you know, for me, it's always been an ability to to connect with people at a human level, at an emotional level. It's not been about business really at all. Back to empathy, being able to to see you know commonality amongst your own human experience with others because people do business with people that they like more so than anything else so you know if there's a great deal to be done terrific but you know increasingly a lot of businesses have an NDA policy and, and certainly within our business at Edison we've got that no dickheads allowed policy and if, and if there if there's a you know a uh, a savant who turns up to an interview but he or she's just just a, a, a decade. It, it's a thank you no thank you. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's been key.
0: Culture, culture cultural fits very important obviously.
1: Well I think yeah, cultural fits a, a starting point and in order to work out whether it fits, you've got to have one of course right and, and yeah. so you know understanding what your culture is, I think um, can be vague and, and esoteric to some extent, but I think understanding what your values are, I think's been critical for us and and for me in every business i've ever been part of so I, I i i led the um the development of the of the values piece within within edison which i'm sure we'll speak about and and that has become a a uh, you know a force that has united the principles in the business it's been a compass uh, around which we've you know hired it's been a compass around which we've fired it's been a a basis on which we've rewarded it's been a basis on which we've taken risks it's been a basis in which we've shut doors quickly
0: yeah i mean it's interesting and and you know i'm just going back to a more superficial mm. level about empathy um and entrepreneurship it's also the basis for building rapport and sales as yeah. you say people yeah. want to do business with you people also want to buy from people they like they get a sense of trust they get a sense of rapport from yeah uh, it's an essential skill to be, uh, you know, to have a bit of swagger, but to also have a bit of compassion in equal measure to be yeah. able to understand the uh, the shoes that the other person's filling.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I think I think that uh, that emotional uh, you know IQ is is uh, I think it's actually EQ, EQ isn't it? <laughs> but that, that emotional you know view is, is and and uh, lens is 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 critical. Um, you know, knowing not what not to say and what to avoid and kind of just reading the tea leaves a little bit around, you know, who are the decision makers, who are the, who are the sponsors, you know, who are the people who are going to be marginalized in a process, who are the people you want to just steer clear away from altogether. And it happens in every, in every interaction around, uh, you know, whether you're selling something or buying something or just building, you know, building rapport with a, with a uh, a prospective customer or client, you know a long way in advance of actually doing anything with them. You know we we, we spend a huge amount of time having coffees uh, with people because we you know we're just en- generally interested in what they're doing. And once you build a friendship with someone and and uh, and a a genuine concern for what it is that they're doing, um, you know I think by the time. There's actually a business opportunity. It's it's a lot, a lot less about sort of contracts and engagement letters, and more around just seeing what you can get after together.
0: Yeah, alignment of uh, of values and, yeah. and outcomes. But what made you want to get out of that pilot seat and now with Edison sit more in the briefings lounge?
1: Yeah, look interesting question. I I, I um and and for listeners, this is a, a pretty unique conversation because I actually helped Tony sell his business back in 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 2014 so uh, this is a conversation i'm having with with all of you but a conversation that um that you know we 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 uniquely we, we we participated in ourselves and lived through and um you know i think the the shift for me probably is i i i think there's a a limit to how long you can put in the the ridiculous hours and and you know for for you know 10 or 12 years we just Smashed it, absolutely smashed it. We spawned a number of different businesses, you know, three or four different businesses. We uh, technology businesses. We we realised in at least a couple of the businesses that the people uh, that we were selling to had not a clue what we were talking about. So we actually started up a recruitment business to place people into the positions that we were selling to, and that ended up becoming quite a successful business that we sold to uh, to Drake International in the sort of mid two thousands. Um, so you know opportunistic things that came along along the way, um,
0: but you can't say that you're you've moved out of that sort of cut and thrust and not at
1: all not at all, but but what I did realize was that um you know I realized that I really want, like the the beginning bit, the ideas, and I really like the end bit, which is kind of actually uh, you know extracting or creating value. value around something, and I didn't know if my you know, return on time was a a compelling equation for the middle bit. And so I also reckoned I'd made enough mistakes to be able to be of value for high impact entrepreneurs who, you know, were lonely at the top, didn't have a sounding board, running privately held businesses, you know, family businesses where it was often a dining room you know, dining table conversation, dining room conversation rather than a boardroom conversation. And they needed someone who'd not just had a view, but had actually done it themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. So rather than being surrounded by not so much sycophants, but people who are going to be supportive because they know you or their family or friends. Yeah. But someone who can take it up to you and, and sort of say, "Well, let's no, challenge it." To- sycophants <laughs> is
1: pretty good, actually. I think I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of cute advice that get that gets given to entrepreneurs that yeah. actually need to know what's going on. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, at, at at Edison Partners, it's one of the things that we, we really, um, you know, we're really very proud of. We, 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 you know, one of the, we've got a set of a set of values, and, and you know, we we we're, we're, um, we like to, to make it pretty easy. So the uh, the uh, the the Edison stands for excellence, distinctive, integrity, self development, optimistic, and nimble, and under. Under uh... What's that? that's an acrostic, isn't it? It is, mate. It is, mate. You are, isn't there like a Japanese poem or something like that? What's uh, it called? It's a haiku. Haiku. That's got nothing to do with no, it. Nothing. has it <laughs> no, no. Okay, moving right along. But um, <laughs> but um, you know, I think you know under the under the integrity bit, being able to just say it. I think one of the behaviours that we've got under our, under that value is uh, say it as it is. Yeah. And you know, when you when you sort of unpack that, I mean, as a as a client on the on the receiving end at a you know at a critical juncture in your career and your life probably where you're sort of you know we're assisting these these clients to fulfil the potential that they've had for years but hasn't actually you know hasn't actually shown them anything yet and to be able to make sure that our advice is considered that it's you know that it's excellent but that it's that it's you know no holds barred and not 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 kind of uh, so I mean, glorified.
0: I mean let's let's just. If you say to a lot of people who are used to sycophants, mm. say something as it is, or at least how you guys perceive it as it is because you've yeah. been there or you're sitting in the expert's chair, I mean, there must be people who appreciate that as well as people who then just look for the exit door.
1: Sure. And, and you know, that, that's um, that's the, the nature of the beast, isn't it? But But, you know, I can't... Yeah, you know, I've got my uh, my men in the mirror test. I can't I can't look at myself in the mirror in the morning, knowing I'm going into a meeting that day. Uh, I can't tell somebody who's not ready to go to market after they've spent ten or fifteen or twenty or thirty years building a business, and I know based on the evidence that they're not actually sale ready or investment ready. I can't. Uh, reasonably stand in front of them and say, okay, let's go just because I'm going to earn some short-term fees out of and it. Again, so. And again,
0: and coming back to sort of the level of confidence, I mean, mm. you must be able to say that with all convictions, but, you know, into the depths of and dark reaches of your mind... Yeah. Um, I wouldn't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have complete confidence when you say that that you were actually right?
1: Look, I think so. Uh, there's, um, you know, it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not a... Sort of a binary thing. It's not a. It's not a guess. It's a. It's you know. I think when you um, when you talk to to anyone who who has been around a game for a period of time, it's 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 sort of multiple factors and variations on central themes and and uh, you know it's a bit of a you know, it's a bit of a of of, uh, of a of a detective uh, you know a sort of a, a pr- approach if you like um, a bit of a forensic approach when there's. Um, you know, groupings of, 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 of themes or messages that you're seeing around where a business is at, uh, you know, what the commentary of the day is from the C-suite within an organisation versus what the numbers are telling us, um, you know, what the competitive landscape looks like, uh, what the aspirations of the group are, uh, what the the comps are uh, in the comparative, uh, you know, transactions and, and, you know, competitor set look like both domestically and overseas. It's actually not difficult to join the dots to say is this is this consistent Does this does this make make sense or is this you know is this a 50 to 1 shot that people are are, are backing here
0: and that's an interesting uh, point because if it is a 50 to 1 shot you almost have to question the the founders or the owners or the management team for why they're looking for an exit or an M and A type opportunity, when they're really not in a position to uh, to do that.
1: Yeah, and and you know that's uh, I think that's you know, quite critical to understanding the entrepreneurial condition. I mean, oftentimes, they you know these entrepreneurs are running you know, great businesses, but they haven't understood the um, the delineation between themselves and their businesses. That's the number one thing we see, um, and oftentimes the. The um, you know the, the opportunity that that therefore presents is that you know it's really about talent again. Surprise, surprise! People run businesses; they don't run themselves. Systems and technology and process don't run businesses; people do. You know, if the uh, if the the vehicle that entrepreneurs bring to market are their are, are their companies, it's the people that represent the fuel that, mm. that that power those those vehicles. And oftentimes, it's really about getting a you know understanding a that there needs to be a, a perhaps a slightly different flight path and, B, understanding that there needs to be a different flight crew uh, and that those uh, that flight crew doesn't necessarily include the entrepreneur in the long term. Now you've done it, you've
0: tied it back to the pilot's seat and the and the, <laughs> the pilot's briefing. Um, so now you're the pilot as well as being in the briefing rooms because you're a pilot of Edison Partners. Yeah. Um, how do you keep that entrepreneurial flame going for your own business when you're always having to deeply entrench yourself in the businesses of others.
1: Yeah, look I mean it's um uh, it probably it probably um you know suits uh, suits someone with a uh, with a split personality actually doesn't it? But, uh, something I'm probably pretty well well placed but but um you know you know the story of Edison The listeners don't but um you know Edison was was founded by a guy called Ben Cowan who uh, who uh, prematurely left us in uh, on the eighth of January in twenty seventeen in a in a paragliding accident. But uh, but Ben had Ben had, uh, had founded Edison as a a, a private markets M and A practice and uh, and I'd just come through the uh, through the five a m organic yogurt uh, success which was a, it was a you know very rapid success in from sort of ideation through to uh, sort of ninety million dollar sale to to PZ Cousins in in sort of a little little over little over three years uh, and that was really my you know I'd, I'd sold a number of, uh, of businesses in the in the preamble to that including including yours um but it I was in in truth I was in my infancy around uh, M&A all the other businesses that I'd sold have been my own and I'd been you know both entrepreneur and advisor uh in in my case to uh, to to the the shareholders and other uh, other founders and and I wouldn't recommend anyone ever try that. Kids don't try this at home. I would, um,
0: I would second that. Mm,
1: I mean, it's uh, it's uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. I suspect around how how to optimize and enhance uh, you know sa- sale processes. But well, I think
0: I think let's let's jump into it. I mean, you touched on some of the things, and if anyone really wants to understand the story of. Uh, uh, the late Ben Cowan, who, who did die suddenly in a, in a paragliding accident. Um, there was a great article in The Australian on the weekend. I'll post the link with this and uh, I suggest you read it because um, it uh, really is a great testament to Ben and uh, how uh, his legacy ha- has gone on. Uh, but it, you know, one other personality trait, I mean, that would have flawed a lot of people. It would have put a lot of people on their ass. I mean, why, why get back up? Why even continue?
1: Um, look, it's yeah. I I, I think the um, the shock of of losing Ben for 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 both chef and I was um, you know was immense, and I think you know the there there was there was no easy path, but the idea of or the thought of. Of, uh, of sort of closing the doors and and uh, on, on sort of bens Edison and kind of trying to find something new in the in the murkiness of of, of January 2017 uh, it just wasn't an option for us it was it was you know it was failure is not an option as we all said to one another and we we um, we we kind of went into autopilot Shaf in particular really went into autopilot just to kind of say let's do you know do the things that we need we know we need to do and uh, in the days after we put been in the in the ground we, we were both pallbearers at his at his funeral we met in the office and kind of um you know said "Are yeah, we, we're actually going to do this you know what do you think what, what, where are we and is this is this realistic uh, and there was all sorts of complications that people will read about when they read that article uh, that meant that it wasn't an easy an easy process in any event for us to continue the business of edison but um but uh, you know we, we both unreservedly felt that it was a story that, that still had a lot of telling
0: well, let me ask the, I mean it's, a, it's an incredible story but let me ask the question a slightly different way then so you know you've obviously seen a lot of people in startups and in mm. bigger businesses that have pushed on and hit success at many different levels and others that have you know got it going and, and fallen by the wayside um, again, What is the personality trait that you think is inherent in people who push on?
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, I think there's an element of, of, uh, it's obviously an element of self-belief, you know, deep self-belief that needs to to sort of permeate a a decision like that. I think, you know, failure's got a pretty bad rap in Australia. And, uh, you know, you go to a place like the States and, and, you know, and go to a place like Israel even more so, yeah, you know, unless you've had a couple of absolute sort of, you know, stinkers, <laughs> stinkers, absolutely sort of meltdowns. They they really, they yeah. really treat you with with sort of you know a bit well, of a I, ar- arm's length. It makes know? sense.
0: You don't want to spend your money on someone failing the first time. I've no. done it a couple of times. Yep. Someone else has lost their their dollars. Yeah. And now we'll back them.
1: It's you know buy low, sell high. I guess in a, in the in the simplest sort of sense, but um, but you know I think that. Combined experience, whether it's a challenge or whether it's a setback or whether it's a complete sort of, you know Tits up sort of a moment, (laughs) in a in a business. I think it um, You know, it provides a a Context and it provides a learning that enables a an entrepreneur to to probably have that that uh, That moment in the mirror uh, Where you kind of say well, you know am I going to am I going to learn from this because it is an asset having that having that learning is it an asset that I'm prepared to to um, sort of bring humility and purpose and focus to, and, and, and benefit from. And
0: I go back to the start of where we began, and say, so "There's a voice in the back of one's head that says things are just gonna be okay."
1: Yeah, look, I think so. And I don't, know if that is there for everyone, and um, but look, I, I think, um, yeah, you know, it's perhaps it's perhaps interesting just to to reflect on on um, you know where where it goes well. Um, uh, you know where there are happy stories to be told there's always a flip side and you know the in the in the 5am organic yogurt story everyone's got to see that as a you know a quick overnight success but you know dave prior who uh, who founded and led and and uh, and sold that business who i worked along alongside um you know there was moments where that that it just wasn't going to make it. There was moments where that factory wasn't producing yoghurt. And interestingly, and I think critically, those moments are the moments in which the stories uh, get, get told. They're the, the moments in which the stories get created because you know, I link it back to sort of values and behaviours. Within that business, when I was general manager of that business, what, and I talk about using values as a basis for attracting and retaining and rewarding and you know, letting go talent, it all came back to the, to, to the definition of what, what great behaviours and great values were. And they were always in the parts. In the they were always in the moments where we had our backs to the wall. And you can kind of say, do you remember the time that that person did that? Or can you remember the time where we had they no stand, right to succeed? They stand out like a sore thumb at yeah. that point in time. Yeah, but they're, the, they're, they're high watermarks. And I encourage any entrepreneur to be able to, to, to just take the time when you see that you or your team has done something outstanding take the time just to to make note of it and to hopefully have the have the processes in place to actually reward it. and yeah. uh, and then to you know, as a leader within business you know the older I've, I've got the more I realize that you know leadership is is not only but um, significantly about about storytelling it's about understanding stories and repeating those stories
0: um well, tell me a couple of stories. Why do people want to sell their business? Let's get into mm-hmm. the the real detail of M and A.
1: Yeah, sure. Look, I think um, oftentimes people want to sell their, re- their their businesses for the for the wrong reasons, and oftentimes it's um, you know it's 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 actually too little, too late. Um, so you get to a scenario where either uh, the you know the entrepreneur. Uh, who's perhaps a baby boomer realizes that the uh, the kids actually aren't going to take over the business. There's no succession plan, yep. and uh, the only option is to uh, is to put the business on the block. And at that point, of course, you know the business is often in decline. There might be uh, you Miss know com-
0: tech opportunities. Competitors have come along. That's right.
1: Yeah, and so you know the idea of being able to to uh, to you know to understand. Yeah, this the idea of being able to to, to recognise that uh, you know businesses need to be uh, sold, you know, when they're on the on the way up rather than on the way down is 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 absolutely key. You know, other biz, other entrepreneurs are um, bored. You know, they, 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 they want something else. There's a bit of the bit of the magpie, sort of a, what's the next shiny object, and oftentimes those businesses are a bit uh, you know probably underperform their, their, their potential. Uh, and even so, you know, oftentimes we see, you know, dysfunction is a, is a, a reason for, uh, for, for sale. You know, either where a team isn't working well together or, you know, um, you know perhaps partners are, have not achieved their potential and want to go in separate ways. But I think the ones that we really love are, are the, you know, either the, the businesses that have, you know, really hit it out of the park or those that are rough diamonds where there's a lot that is fundamentally strong about the business there's you know a strong underlying industry backdrop there's you know fundamentally uh you know tailwinds there's precedent transactions uh or good clients you know strong competitive you know uh, advantage sustainable competitive advantage and and you know exit planning that's been embedded within the business so they've actually thought about you know what and why and when and what that number is. And uh, so that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a far more reasonable conversation. Magic number.
0: So, well, I mean, that does lead to the magic number question, though, mm. for you. When is a good time to sell the businesses? Yep. And in seeing people who want to sell businesses, I mean, you've touched on succession planning there, so you're getting into family businesses
1: and the elder statesman potentially mm.
0: but is there an age profile or something that you see where people want to sell out well, not
1: necessarily I, I, I sat with a you know a, a globally renowned entrepreneur who's 75 years old uh, earlier on this week and he'd, he'd retired at 72 woke up on his 73rd year old 73rd birthday and just thought this is bullshit I'm going back into business and he'd bought 20 something businesses since so I think everyone's everyone's different and you know, entrepreneurs who are out there and who are building businesses. I think, you know, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be the perfect time to sell. You know, there some of the, the transactions that we've been involved in, it would appear, you know, are close to kind of, you know, ringing the bell at the top 5am was certainly, you know, one of those. Everyone thought that Dave went way too early at a board level, but, um, but, uh, you know, uh, history, history showed that his timing was almost perfect. And uh, on the LifeSpace probiotics transaction, which we closed last uh, last year, um, you know, again, uh, that was you know very close to the, the top of the cycle. You know, your question was when to sell. I think the answer to that is 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 pretty clear and pragmatic. I mean, vendors should aim to sell a business when things are going good, rather than when things are going bad. And, and uh, you know, um, interest and, and commitment amongst counterparties is likely to be diluted, and, and and interest is likely to be much thinner on the ground when you can be accused of having topped out. So I think there's really something in our game around uh, needing to leave something for the other guy. So uh, how do different people deal with risk? Yeah, look, I, I think... Um, I don't know if it's risk. I reckon it's more comfort. I think, again, I think, you know, these processes, I'm talking about, you know, M&A transactions are pressure cookers they are the icing on the cake that has been baked for 10 or 20 or 30 years often and um you know people see them as a reflection and a representation of themselves often their self-worth uh and um you know i i uh, i think some of them some of them cope with that and some of them just don't and it tends to be the you know the the, the, the smarter uh, you know super engaged folks who, who are uh, you know' have got their fingers in every single pie understand their businesses you know intimately in every aspect that you know uh, have got the capability the interest and the drive where they probably they probably could run the process on their own if they if they really wanted to the the difficulty of course is that they can't run the business and run the process yep. at the same time yep. and therein lies an enormous challenge for entrepreneurs Um you know this. This is uh, this will sound self-serving, and it probably is. But but uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that um, that the appointment of a of an advisor signals something very very key to a counterparty set to to the bitter universe, and that is that you're actually committed committed to, committed to a to, to a process, and equally, it signals that you're committed to uh, your own business and to uh, to being. Uh, you know, shoulder shoulder to the to to the wheel, and uh, and uh, you know, focus on on continuing to deliver the performance. You know, behind behind most businesses, as as an entrepreneur, and whether that business that entrepreneur is a you know a family, and you know, we've dealt with some very large businesses that are, you know, that are uh, you know S and, S and P businesses or FTSE listed or very large ASX uh, listed companies, and there's still either. Present or omnipresent or somewhere in the background, a you know a, a a a nucleus that was started by an entrepreneur. I think I think the the uh, uh, the non-owner, you know, can can uh, can often uh, make um, you know more impartial decisions that are often more accurate and less uh, less sort of emotionally driven. Uh, but often they'll fail to to uh to see the insight to really pick up on the inside because frankly they're not they're not acting like an owner they're not thinking like an owner so they miss the things that are important so mm. when you're dealing with non-owners
0: they're often cannon fodder in an m&a transaction because you know two businesses same position someone stays someone goes mm. um you know how, how how do how do you deal with that? How how do you deal with who stays and who goes yeah. when you're when a merger and acquisition happens?
1: Uh, as a vendor group uh, preparing a business for sale, I think it's really key to understand you know who's first of all in the tent as we say and who's out of the tent. So who are the key persons that are going to be promoted as the uh, you know, as the uh, the, uh, the the management going forward and, and you know most. Unless it's a, a strategic sort of trade buyer who kind of has a, a full local team who are going to simply take over and, and simply bolt on a, a business, oftentimes there's a reliance on on a, uh, on, a on an existing management and, and often that's encapsulated within within an earnout. Um, so understanding who wants to be a key person uh, and who's capable of being a key person to not only affect that trend that orderly transition but then to do a good job of it is, is really important and for those that don't want to be part of the journey uh, really important for the advisors to be able to to start signaling that early and we've done that in many transactions there's been a lot of folks who have certainly had the capability of being able to stick around but for whatever reason or circumstance haven't had the the ability to do so and uh, and that can be you know that can be con- configured through you know surprise, surprise, sort of clear communication up front.
0: Um, you specialise in F&B and health and tech. W- why these spaces? They're mm. already very competitive.
1: So they are competitive. I, th- I think um, you know one of the things that we uh, we realised after we lost Ben was that uh, we really needed to have a point of difference. And um, you know, at Edison we're different from others up and down Collins Street on a, for a couple of reasons. One is that we've actually all been entrepreneurs ourselves and Ben himself... Although the fact he was a a twenty year plus investment banker and had worked at Gresham and and Deutsche and Rothschilds, he stepped out of that uh, that trajectory to co-found and, and run Anaconda, the, the big box uh, cam hiking, and uh, an adventure retailer. Uh, Chef, uh, my current business partner has uh, has had a very. Um, a very strong uh, track record in uh, in consumer and retail, and particularly in sort of retail fashion apparel at the luxury end. It sat on global boards of uh, very large organisations and been able to bring those brands out of Europe and uh, bring them into uh, Asia Pacific and grow very large businesses. Uh, and myself, obviously, I've uh, uh, you know founded and uh, and run uh, and quite a number of businesses that got to sort of considerable size. So there's a an empathy that allows us to have a very straight conversation with an entrepreneur, uh, when we, whereas
0: well, you know, know that you know you know the subject matter.
1: Yeah, that I look, I mean, uh, that, that, that's right, and I think you know when we're sort of sitting around uh, having completion dinners, uh, which is the real sort of test of why someone hired you in the first place. You kind of we all say to them, what what was it about us that made you choose us, and and uh, and uh, invariably, it's it's you know we saw a lot of ourselves in you, and a lot of a lot of. Uh, a lot of you and us, uh, we, we, we felt like we were talking to an industry insider rather than a transaction advisor, advisor. yeah. And uh, and it was a an in, you know, it was a we didn't feel like we needed to invest in your education, you already knew it or you just got it, yeah. You you asked me why why the focus on those those three sort of sectors, and it's you know, it's actually food and beverage, retail, retail and consumer, health and pharma, uh, and and tech as a as a horizontal, and that the simple uh answer is. We understand those sectors. We want to focus on the things that we really understand. We want to focus on the 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 verticals where we're bringing a point of view and a point of difference and an opinion that's um, you know not available if we're not in the room. So
0: we're going to go back to you uh, now. Uh, you've travelled you've travelled the world
1: extensively. Has that
0: helped you in business at all? Do you think?
1: Look, I think so. I think, I think um, you know, uh, the, the parallel for me is that, uh, that every business is different, just as you know, every country and every, every, uh, you know, every culture is different. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the thread link is that unless you get out there and actually visit them and immerse yourself in them, you're just never going to know. You're never going to find the, the gems and you're never going to understand uh, and identify, you know, which sort of businesses or countries you like best. Let's take a different
0: tack. Who's your favourite comedian? John Cleese. A tennis
1: player. Tennis player. Mm. Um, Boris Becker. Favourite band? Favourite band. First album I ever bought was, uh, was Eurythmics uh, with uh, Here Comes the Rain Again. Dave Stewart, Annie Lennox. I think Annie was voted the sexiest woman on earth. And uh, as a, I think late teenager, I probably w- wouldn't disagree. But I love their music, the acoustic guitar that Dave Stewart brought Amazing. to it, and uh, Annie Lennox's powerful voice. Here's
0: uh, something that most people might not know that they uh, they I think they met and formed it
1: in all in Wagga Wagga. In Wagga Wagga. Wow. Goodness, I'm not even gonna go there. But okay, I'll take your word for it. What is your fondest? Childhood memory, fondest childhood memory. We we were uh, we were fortunate in that um, our parents were, were both British, and we had our grandparents over, in two sets of grandparents over in in the UK, and um, I think we we're in probably grade two or grade three, something like that. Our, uh, our parents took us uh, took us out of primary school and. Um, and uh, took us to the U K. We spent sort of months in Yorkshire, in the beautiful Yorkshire Dales with our grandparents, and then uh, our parents, you know, bought or commandeered a VW Combi van with the sleeping canopy upstairs above the in in the roof, and um, and we toured around around Europe for a year, and uh, with correspondence school uh, being sent to wherever the next major city was, and I remember vividly doing our doing our homework. Uh, you know, in uh, caravan parks with the uh, with the midges flying around the gas lanterns, and uh, and uh, it's uh, quite incredible to think that 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 actually happened in my lifetime. When my uh, my daughter is receiving her homework on her iPad and uh, lying in bed, sort of doing it all tippy tippy tap on her iPad.
0: It's a very it's a very different uh, existence, isn't it? it? Makes you feel pretty old, doesn't it? Think back a little bit. Uh, again, to your
1: childhood, what what's the most memorable smell? I think it, I think it's probably linked to that um, to that uh, that North Yorkshire part of my, my life. I think um, the smell of burning coal in uh, inside the house and permeating throughout the whole village is, is a, a smell that stays with me uh, you know until this day. I just need to close my eyes and I can I can actually smell it. What are you passionate about? What am I passionate about? It's interesting, um, you know, often you know, I have to say, and I don't mean to be a spoil sport, but I, I you know, I, I think the word passion is dramatically overused. I think, uh, you know, honestly, of the people I know, I think probably less than 1% of them are actually genuinely passionate about something, and oftentimes it's not what they do, it's more who they are, um, and, you know, for me, um, you know being a an empath um, you know I'm passionate about about you know equality and and everyone having a you know a fair chance in life and when I I, uh, I look around Melbourne as a you know capital city in a in a country that as fortunate as Australia and walk through the CBD at six or seven o'clock in the morning or six or seven o'clock at night and see the state of, uh, of homelessness and uh, and the, the miserable state of, of you know, physical and mental health of the people who are living on our streets. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm passionate about trying to do something about that. What skill are you not very good at? That you'd like to be better at? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I think um, you know, as I've become older, I turned 50 this year, um, I I've really become far more comfortable with the idea that everyone's got strengths and weaknesses, and I know that the return I'm able to uh, provide to my business by focusing on my strengths far outweighs multiples of that that I spend focusing on my weaknesses. So, you know, for me, it's... Um, and this may sound, sound odd in a, in a uh, you know, mergers and acquisitions practice. For me, it's, it's you know, the numbers... And just the number crunching is not something which comes naturally to me um, I'd you know far rather spend the time um, you know briefing a uh, an advisor or another team member who is passionate about that while I try and understand the nuances of the people that are driving the businesses and the you know the acquisition proposition and how it needs to be tweaked and tailored for each counterparty so that we're having a you know, an equally human conversation, but a unique conversation with every one of those counterparties. If you could
0: have your life again and be anything you wanted to be or anyone you wanted to be today, what would that be?
1: What or, or who would that be? Um, I've always had a, uh, a fascination for flying, but I've never done any of it, And, and my my, uh, my favourite animal is, a, is an eagle. And I I, you know, I think they're the most, most majestic animals. So I'd either like to be a, uh, an eagle handler or, or maybe a, an eagle an eagle itself.
0: Do you play an instrument? And if you don't, what instrument would you play if
1: you could? Hmm. I, I don't play an instrument. I played the recorder pretty well at primary school and I uh, learned clarinet. Very briefly in secondary school, but listening to my daughter sing, which I think is uh, you know, perhaps the most sort of uh, God given instrument of all. Uh, I I'd love to be able to sing, and I'm actually toying with the idea of actually taking some singing lessons. So what's next? What's next? Um, look, I'd like to I'd like to think that that's not necessarily sort of written, but but I um, I can tell you that. Uh, Edison is, is morphing into, I think, a very natural evolution of, uh, of its growth and, um, you know, beyond uh, advising, you know, entrepreneurs and, and, and families and, and owners of, of businesses, we, uh, we're now transitioning uh, through what we're calling the Edison Growth Fund uh, into becoming principal investors, you know, bringing capital and capability and connections to uh, turn you know, big little Australian companies into sort of little big Australian companies uh, in part by uh, tapping them into, uh, you know, regional uh, Asian distribution and, uh, and potentially ownership. So, I mean, is it possible,
0: because the question I was going to ask you earlier, um, you're already in the driver's seat of Edison Partners, but is it possible that you end up in the driver's seat of one of these companies that you invest in? because you end up being passionate about it and the best person to run
1: it? Yeah, look, I don't think we're ever gonna be running those businesses. I think, you know, what's gonna be um, unique about Edison Growth Fund is that we're, you know, I think by virtue of our entrepreneurial background, I think we're able to identify risk in a pretty unique way. I think it's difficult to understand the capability of a team uh, and the extent to which that team can enact a, a business plan. Unless you've sort of done it yourself, and so I think I think we've got a, you know, I think we've got a clear advantage over, over other other private equity outfits in in, in that regard. Well, Jason Ellenport, uh, I hope the uh,
0: the next few years are as exciting uh, as the last few years have been. I wish you all the best. Thank you for being on Discipline, and
1: uh, thank you for listening. It's an absolute pleasure, Tony, and uh, thank you for contributing. I think the best bottle of wine I've ever drunk, and, uh, and for, uh, uh, for following that up with my, uh, my favourite Hendrix and Cucumber and Tonic. Brilliant work. Pleasure.